facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the program. I'm so happy to have you with me, and you're not the only one with me. I've got a a very distinguished guest who I'm going to introduce to you in just a moment. But first, I want to hand out the phone number, 888-914-9149. Put us in your contacts. Put us on speed dial. It's our listener line sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. 888-914-9149. You can also email the program. The address is kale. C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com, and you can find me on social media on the X app at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. So we've got lots to talk about today. Let's jump right in. My guest today is here for the first time. He is the founder of the Virtuous Leadership System. He was born and raised in Paris and is a graduate of one of France's leading law schools. He worked as a lawyer in Europe for many years before discovering his true mission to ignite hearts for greatness and raise up a new generation of virtuous leaders. His books on leadership, character, and virtue have been translated into many languages worldwide. In fact, his latest book was just released hot off the press. It's called Seven Prophets and the Culture War, Undoing the Philosophies of a World in Crisis, published by Scepter Press. Joining me today from Los Angeles, Alex Havard is my guest. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time today. How are you? I'm well. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. And I know I know you're a little jet lagged. You took a flight uh, from Europe to LA, uh, so I know I, I I know you're probably we're going to get you pumped up. Okay, so I, I know you're probably tired, you. but but uh, hopefully you'll be. Uh, Really excited by our conversation. And, and Alex, what I like to do with my guests is usually off the top, especially if they've never been on the program before, to ask them a little bit about what I call their superhero origin story. So you were born in Paris. Talk to me a little bit about your life growing up. What was the role of faith uh, in your progression <coughs> through the years? Look, I was, um, I was born in Paris some 62 years ago. From I had wonderful parents and that. My parents were immigrants from the Bolshevik revolutions. Wow. They immigrated to Paris and they met in Paris in the 1920s. I have, so I have Russian blood. I have also Georgian blood. I have a Georgian grandfather who escaped Soviet Georgia in 1926 and he married the daughter of a French general in Paris. So I am, I am also Georgian and French. So I am Russian, Georgian and French. And I have to say that I I had, um, I got my faith fundamentally from my grandparents. Hmm. They were, uh, some were Catholics, others were Orthodox, of course, mm-hmm. they were coming yep. from Georgia and Russia. But I got really my faith from them. I had, um, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with each one of them. I like very much to speak about my grandparents because they played a very important, very important role in my life as a, as a man who is writing on virtuous leadership. I, I think mm. of them all the time when I speak about wow. virtuous leaders because they were leaders for me as well as my parents. <clears throat> so I studied law. I became a barrister in Paris, uh, in Strasbourg. And when I was 26, I left uh, to Finland, uh, Northern Europe, and I lived 18 years in Finland. Wow. So I, this, which is a Protestant country. That's a, there are only, there was my time, there was only 5,000 Catholics all over the all over Finland, <laughs> so <laughs> it's not so much. So, <laughs> I, so, so I have. I am a multicultural and also multi-religious person because I was, 
It was educated by Orthodox Catholics after I lived in a Protestant country. So I've seen many things, very interesting people around the world. Yeah, what what, a, what an eclectic background and, and experience. And you now I was gonna I was gonna throw in a little joke here. Uh, you know that you obviously were practicing law for many many years, but but then maybe you discovered Jesus's words in the gospel, "Woe to you lawyers!" and said, "No, no, this isn't my true mission." But no. Bad joke there, I know. Yeah, but, no, but that, you, that, but, <laughs> you've heard that one before. Yeah, that's know. a very important thing. What I, what I'm doing now has to do with my career as a lawyer. I was in Finland. I was teaching law at Helsinki University, mm-hmm. and I was giving a course on the history of European integration. So I had to speak a lot about the founders of European Union: uh, Robert Schuman, Archie de Gasperi, Konrad Adenauer, and my students were very much interested in human beings much more than in European law regulations. That's why they pushed me to to quit my job and to begin to do what I've been doing now over the last 25 years, which is creating the virtuous leadership system and spreading it all over the world. So my students at Helsinki University brought me to what I am doing now. I'm very thankful to the youth. They convinced me. They helped me discover my mission in life. I love it. I love it. I love how God works through through our experiences in life to to get us to where we need to be. And and, and speaking about virtuous leadership, and that, and that was the title, of course, of one of your books, as well as the virtuous leadership system that you've developed. But you have often said, Alex, that the two virtues that a leader really needs most are magnanimity and humility. Why why do you concentrate on those virtues in particular? Because they are. Uh... Because the definition of uh, leadership that I have is to achieve greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. Hmm. This is for me what leaders do. So leadership is not a function. Leadership is not a position. Leadership is a way of being. And to achieve greatness, you need magnanimity, you know. And bringing out the greatness in others for this, you need humility, what I call fraternal humility which is humility as service. Mm -hmm. So my vision is that the four kind of virtues, which we know very well, you know, practical wisdom, courage, self-mastery, and justice, these are fundamental virtues that each person has to practice. But the virtues, magnanimity and humility, which means that we meet a lot of people that have uh, the four kind of virtues, but unfortunately, they don't have the the specificity of leaders, the specific virtues of leaders. They don't possess those virtues. That's why we cannot say they are leaders. They're just good people, you know, mm-hmm. integrated human beings, good people, but they are no leaders. Each one, we, we, met, we meet very often those kind of people, good guys, you know, the good guys, good girls, good boys, but they're very far from leadership because there is no magnanimity, no vision of greatness and no vision of service in their lives. And I put those two virtues, I mean, magnanimity and humility together. I think they just cannot be separated from one another. Uh, If you are a servant leader, you're still not a leader. You have to have a vision of magnanimity. You have to be magnanimous. And if you are uh, just a magnanimous person because you have a vision of greatness, but you are not a servant of people, then you are not a leader either. So those two virtues for me uh, are the very specific virtues of leaders. And uh, I think in America, we spoke a lot about servant leadership, you know, Peter Mm -hmm. Green Lee in the 1970s. 
And I, it's, it was a good thing, but I would add to this that we have to have a vision of magnanimity. It's not enough to have a vision of humility, a vision of service, because you have to serve with your talents, with your mission. And this has to do with the virtue of magnanimity. By the way, many people in the United States cannot pronounce the word magnanimity. They say magnanimity. <laughs> I, I almost said it myself, so, actually. <laughs> no, I was impressed. I was impressed to see that you pronounce it very well, magnanimity. I think the problem with Americans is they have a problem with the nanny, you know, magnanny. So I tell them, look, just say magna, magna, and then after nimity, and it will work well. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Well, we, we certainly need magnanimous humility, I, I guess, if you put it all together. And, and yeah. one of the things that you, that you mentioned just, just a moment ago, Alex, was that a good leader brings out the greatness in other people. Now, how would you, how would you contrast that, which you would say is true leadership, bringing out the greatness in others, to the understanding of leadership that we find on the regular in the business world today in the United States? How do those two things differ? Uh, well, to bring out the greatest in people means that, first of all, you, of course, have to love them. Uh, you have to love people and you have to discover the diamond that is hidden in each person. Uh, you have to have a desire to delegate power, to include power, so to practice those beautiful things as inclusion, uh, delegation of power, collegiality. Uh, this is the way to help people grow as human beings. Very often, uh, we confuse management with leadership. I mean, management is about moving things forward. Leadership is about moving people forward. So leaders, in the end of the day, are those, they can be great managers, but they become great managers because they are serving humanity, because they are helping people becoming great human beings. I mean, the measure of leadership is not the leader himself, it is uh, the followers, how much the followers are growing, developing, becoming great people. This is the measure for me of leadership. Mm, I like that. My guest today is Alex Havard, founder of the Virtuous Leadership System, author of the brand new book, which we'll talk about in just a moment. It's fascinating, Seven Prophets and the Culture War, Undoing the Philosophies of a World in Crisis. If you want to know how we got here, he breaks it down very, very well. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but Alex, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you mentioned that really a, a good leader wants to bring out the greatness in others. But I would say, again, in, in, in our modern culture, the way that people look at that word greatness is, is a little bit different than what you might like. It's usually based on what somebody's achieved, what they've done. But you have a different understanding of greatness. How do you understand greatness? Yeah. Yeah, for me, greatness is only spiritual, so it, uh, only, it can be only personal. So um, we can build big things, but we cannot be, build great things. The only greatness is personal. The only greatness is you, your character, your virtues, your excellence. So for me, greatness is only personal. I never use the word greatness when I speak about conquering the whole world for your business product, you know. This is not greatness. Greatness is what's happening to those people that are achieving material goals. Uh, what's happen what happens to them in the process of achieving material goals? Are they growing? Are they becoming leaders? Are they becoming great people? This is the only question that is interesting because material goals cannot be great. 
material goals just can be high, big, small, whatever you want. But the only greatness is spiritual. So the only greatness is you. You only human beings can be great. That's why um, when I watched that movie with St Steve Jobs, looking at his oh, yeah. last iPod and saying the word great, great, <laughs> great, 100 times in five minutes, so, well, there is a problem here. And the youth can be very much mistaken because there is no greatness here in things. There is no greatness in things. You know, things can be beautiful. Things can be very useful. That's true. But greatness, it's only human beings. Only human beings can be great. You know, and we know Jobs had, had difficulty with human beings. We're not judging him because it's Steve Jobs had no parents. He was educated by, he was an orphan. He was educated by mm -hmm. other people. But I'm just saying about, we must not make mistakes. Greatness is only spiritual. Greatness is only the human being. Only a human person can be great. We're big or small when we speak about material things, but we cannot speak about great. You are the one that has to be great. So for me, what's important <laughs> is not the material goals you achieve as a businessman. It is by achieving those material goals, What's happening to your people, your employees? Are they growing? Are they becoming leaders in themselves? Are they becoming free? Are they becoming responsible? Are they becoming creative? The important thing, remember this in work, it is not the work itself. It is the subject of work. This is a very substantial part of a Christian Catholic doctrine. The objective aspect of work is not so, is not so important. What you do is not so important. What's important is what's happening to you, to you personally when you do something. So are you growing doing that thing? Are you doing the thing with love? Are you becoming an excellent person and sane doing the job you're doing? But what you're doing is not so important in the end of the day. The important thing is you as a subject of work, what's happening to you when you do those things. This is exactly what leadership is about. A leader understands those things fundamentally because he knows people are much people are much more important than material results if you're a manager you have to achieve results but if you're a manager who is also a leader you understand i have to achieve results material results by transforming my people by making them leaders by creating a corporate culture and i know that on the long term this works very well on the long term, people who really, really create corporate culture that is attractive, these are people who are really leaders for their followers, for their employees, because they had this vision. The priority, people are the priority. People are more important than things. We do things for people. I am more important than what I do. You know, this, is, this requires, of course, a deep spirituality. Uh, because in the modern world, that is a very materialistic world. Mm -hmm. People are impressed by material results and they care for excellence, spiritual development. There is a, there is a big problem. There is a problem that they don't understand what the truth of, of, about the human being is. And we're speaking about magnanimity. Anyone, you're a materialist person. You cannot have a vision of magnanimity because magnanimity vision of the greatness of the human being, the dignity of the human being. And if you think that there is no spirit in a human being, that human beings are just animals, well, there is no foundation here for 
magnanimity. Yeah, I can I can see that for sure. And you you mentioned Steve Jobs and he used to use the phrase with respect to Apple products, you want to build something insanely great. Well, what we really need is insanely great people building insanely great people, and that's what really true leadership is is all about. And we got we have to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark show. But if you've got a question for Alex Savard, you can call in triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. When we come back, we're gonna be talking about something that that helps us to be insanely great. It's understanding the temperament that God has given each one of us. Alex has some great insights on that. We'll be right back on the Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Back to the program. My guest today on The Kale Clark Show is Alex Havard, who is the author of the brand new book, and it is excellent, Seven Prophets and the Culture War, Undoing the Philosophies of a World in Crisis. We're going to get into what those seven philosophies might be, three bad, four good. We're going to get into that with Alex in just a few moments, but if you want to call in, if you've got a question for him, 888-914-9149 is the number. Alex Kors is a noted leadership expert. And one of the other things that you talk about a lot, Alex, as he's joining me from Los Angeles, you've written and spoken a great deal about the temperaments. And, and as I understand it, everybody's temperament, everyone's been given a certain dominant temperament from God. It's kind of deeply rooted. And if you could just explain to, to, to us really what those temperaments are. Okay. And, and also... What those ch- what the challenges that they they might present to uh, each individual person? Uh, so we're going to ask uh, Alex to expand on that in, in just a moment. But we appear to have lost him uh, ever so briefly, and so we're going to. Uh, I just want to tell you a little bit more about uh, the book that he has. And Patrick, you can just let me know when he's back up. We're going to get Alex uh, back on the line in just a moment. He's written this new book, published by Scepter Press, and you can get it. Uh, in, in either an ebook format, physical book, of course, you can go to their website, Scepter Press. And it's Seven Prophets and the Culture War Undoing the Philosophies of a World in Crisis. So he talks about, it's really interesting, he talks about three prophets of our age, who he calls the destroyers, prophets of doom, as it were. He talks about the Cartesian philosophy of Rene Descartes. He talks about Jean Jacques Rousseau and also. Frederick Nietzsche and his idea of the Superman. He gets into all that stuff. And then there are what he calls the builders. And these are also prophets of our time or of recent times who, who did see all this stuff coming and, and how the, the bad philosophies of our age uh, could really tear apart the culture, but really what to do about it. And they also provide solutions. He's talking about Blaise Pascal. He's talking about Soren Kierkegaard. He's talking about Dostoevsky and also... Uh, another Russian philosopher, Vladimir Soloviev. And so th- this is really interesting stuff. We're going we're gonna to ask Alex all about this as soon as we get him back on the line. So we are working on this. Um, uh, we've lost the connection with Alex Savard, but he will be back with us momentarily. This is probably a good time uh, to mention that if you're listening to this show in podcast form. You might be listening after the fact. You might be listening live on Relevant Radio on one of our over 200 stations all across the United States of America. You might be streaming this show on the Relevant Radio website, relevantradio.com, or on our newly redesigned app. And if you haven't downloaded it yet, 
you simply must download and update. It's got a lot of great new features, and our digital team, Damon Schmidt and crew, have been working on this for a very, very long time, and I'm really excited about what they've done. I know that you will as well. One of the best ways that you can spread the good word about Relevant Radio is we seek to bring Christ to the world through the media is by sharing about our app. Tell people about it. And you can also share individual programs and episodes from each of our shows. Really handy share features. And if you are listening, now if you're not using the Relevant Radio app, shame on you, number one. I'm only kidding. But if you're listening on Spotify, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, as a lot of people do, another good thing you can do is to simply give us a rating and a review for the Kale Clark Show, for the Faith Explained Show, for the Family Rosary Across America, for the Patrick Madrid Show, the Drew Mariani Show, Trending with Timory, The Inner Life. There's so many great programs. Father Simon Says just goes on and on, morning air. It's an all-star lineup. But the best thing you can do is give us a rating and review because it does help people to discover our programs. And so thanks for doing that in advance. Really, really appreciate it. One of the things that we'll talk about too on the Faith Explained show, speaking of that show, tomorrow, you're going to want to tune into this. Not only are we continuing with our study of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and today, of course, is the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. And we all have conversion stories. Even if we've been cradle Catholics, we've always been in the faith. God always calls us to conversions, deeper and deeper and deeper conversions. Some of you guys listening today, maybe you are converts to the faith. Maybe you're not a Catholic yet and you're thinking about it. And sometimes people have very dramatic conversion stories, like St. Paul had. He went from persecutor of the Catholic faith to its most famous propagator, the greatest evangelist of all time, the GOAT. But but his conversion was so important to him that he talked about it three different times. It is mentioned three different times in the Acts of the Apostles, which was written, of course, by St. Luke. And uh, Luke was a traveling companion uh, of St. Paul during his missionary journeys. Folks, there were no Google Docs in the first century. There, there wasn't an, an unlimited stream of, of paper that you could uh, access, if you will. And so in order to, uh, to write, you had to use good old-fashioned pen and paper. Not really paper, but papyrus. And it wasn't exactly in voluminous supply. So you had to be really, really careful with your words. So why would you have the same exact account? three different times in one book, unless it was super, super important. And, and Paul was, was great at sort of tailoring his conversion story to different audiences, and we need to do that too. We might only have time for an elevator pitch when we talk about what God's done in our lives. Uh, you might have time to regale people for an hour in front of a fireplace or something like that, or in a pub. Good for you if that's the case. You can kind of expand a little bit. But what St. Paul has in the Acts of the Apostles is three different accounts of his conversion story. And in order to really get the gist of what he's saying, you've got to read all three of them because he tailors that to different audiences. And, and here's one, one, one last thing about uh, conversion that St. Paul can really teach us. And St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the founder of Opus Dei, used to talk about this all, an awful lot. Let's say you've been Catholic for many, many years, many decades even. If you've had a, a really big sort of initial conversion or reconversion to Christ, you're going to remember that one. That's a big deal. But sometimes the more important conversions that happen are the sort of little ones, the, the, the little ones that maybe nobody on the outside would notice, but they take place at the level of the heart, of the heart. And so that's a, that, these are really delicate ones that we really, that sometimes they're the hardest ones. We, we let go, letting go of little things and giving control of every little area of our lives to Christ. All right, we have got Alex Havard connected once again 
uh, in Los Angeles where he was in, in town for a conference. We'll tell you about that uh, a little bit later. So apologies for the technical difficulties, Alex. Thanks for your patience. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about was your work on temperaments. And this is a big part of being a leader, uh, helping people to, to achieve greatness is understanding the temperament that God has given you. And so talk to me a little bit about the different types of temperaments and, and kind of the the challenges and advantages that they can bring to the table. Well, I think the temperament is something that we, we didn't speak enough about those things before. I think it's, it's a very important topic because temperament are biological inclinations, you know, we, we make the difference between the temperaments and character. Character is made up of virtue that we've been developing since we were very young. The temperaments are the full fundamental inclination that we have, that we have inherited. And we traditionally say there are four basic temperaments. One is the choleric. These are people that are born for action. They need action all the time. They need movement. These are the people that are born managers, you know. No, no one is born a leader, but because the leadership is a, is a moral activity, it has to do with magnanimity and humility, greatness, and service. But many people are born managers, and you know, managers. So um, the manager, this is what colorism is about. Cholerics are people that are action-oriented. Then we have what we call the melancholic people. Melancholic people are not action-oriented. They are idea-oriented, they are more contemplative, they don't like much action, they like contemplation. Uh, they are very creative people, very creative people. These are the uh, melancholic people. Then you have what we call the sanguines. The sanguines are people-oriented. These are the people of communication, they love people, they like to be with people, they like to make jokes, mm. they like they like la joie de vivre, la joie de vivre, as we say in French. <laughs> and uh, these are the people of the moment, the carpe diem, you know, the carpe diem people. Yeah, exactly. So this, uh, this is what we call the sanguine people. Then you have a, four, a fourth type of people that we call the phlegmatic people. And the phlegmatic people are the rush, very rational. Their priority is peace, I would say. Peace is the priority of the phlegmatic people. So they are rational, they are, the approach to reality is very scientific. So uh, this is what those people are. So these are the four basic temperaments, and I like to speak a lot about the temperaments, not because I like the temperaments, but because I like to identify the specific virtue of each temperament. I mean, each temperament has a, as a challenge in terms of a very specific virtue. Hmm. So I like to speak about that because it makes the science virtue very practical. When you speak to the choleric people, you explain them that their challenge is going to be humility. You know, choleric people, they move, hmm. they are managers, they do things, but they have yeah. to understand that people are more important than things. They have to serve people and not to use people. And for this, hmm. you need virtue of humility. Now, the melancholic people, their struggle is different. There's people, what they need is audacity because they are they are very introspective. Everything is inside. They're very spiritual. They have everything inside their soul and their mind and their heart, but they have a difficulty to not to dream because they dream a lot, but they have a difficulty to implement the dream, to transform the dream into a mission, to action. They need yeah. audacity, yeah. boldness, you know. And then the sanguine people, what they need in the end of the day, it's persistence, uh, endurance, because they are biologically they are people of one day you know they enjoy the moment yeah. and they have no they have, they have no vision of the future 
And so when they say something, it's just for the coming, coming, coming hours. It's not for 10 years. So they have a problem. They have a lot of difficulty to practice that I call the virtue of time, patience, endurance, persistence, mm. faithfulness. So this is a very specific challenge for those people. And then you have the phlegmatic people. Their challenge is magnanimity because they don't dream. Now they have a difficulty with dream. They are very. They have a tendency to be functionaries, to love the status quo, you know, to, to swim with the current. But these mm. are people that have a lot of difficulty being magnanimous. Magnanimity is really a challenge for them. I mean, the dream, because the dream is not something rational. It's something very irrational, very intuitive. So they have problems about dreaming about themselves, uh, dreaming about themselves, mm. dreaming about becoming great people. This wow. is the challenge. So I like to speak about the temperament because I like to identify for each temperament the very specific challenging virtue. This is the goal for me of the temperaments is to identify the virtue you're going to work upon during all of your life in order to become an excellent person. Yeah, I think this is really, this is great stuff, Alex. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show. My guest is Alex Havard, founder of the Virtuous Leadership System. And just talking about the different temperaments that people have, um, it's really interesting because we have to kind of, I think God, it's interesting that uh, God himself became a carpenter in Jesus because I think he kind of does work with the grain of how we are, who we are, how he made us, kind of works with our personalities and our temperaments. But there's, as you said, there's always something to work on. So let's say that you, you have, and, and people listening are probably identifying themselves, oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a sanguine, et cetera. The thing that you mentioned that each of those groups needs to work on, how, how can they actually do that? How, what are some tools that they can use to actually work on those weak areas? Well, first, I would say they have to identify their temperament. And the biggest problem of people is the lack of self-knowledge. You know, you mm -hmm. teach people virtues and then they think, oh, I have to practice all the virtues. When at the end of the day, they have to practice one virtue, which is a virtue that is a challenging virtue for them. And when they identify their temperament through our courses, they identify the virtue that is going to be a, a challenging virtue for them, then it's very easy. So it's easy because it's easy to understand there is one virtue I'm going to work upon all my life. And if I do this, all the other virtues will come in because mm. this is a very important virtue for me. It's the foundation of my spiritual growth. It is this specific virtue that is a challenge for my very specific temperament so then mm -hmm. you have to think about your day you have to think about what you do every day the routine you know the routine day and then you have to identify those opportunities that you have during the day to practice that very specific virtue which can be audacity or magnanimity or uh or, or humility uh, or magnanimity so you have you cannot tell people what they have to do. You have to tell them, think about the very specific, a very, uh, very routine day that you have and what's, what's happening in that day and where are the opportunities for you of practicing that virtue. Mm -hmm. This is the work that each one of us can do and has to do from time to time because nobody can do this in their place. There is no recipe of growing. Uh, your growth has to do with what, what happens every day in your life, you know? So, and that's it. So, of course, in my book, I give a lot of orientations and practical advices. But fundamentally, I've noticed that the very, the very, very practical thing is you just think about your day and about a usual day of your life. 
and you think about when, when can I practice that virtue that is for me challenging? For instance, if you're a choleric, what does it mean for me to practice the virtue of humility? And this has a lot to do with the, your relate, the relations that you have with your wife, your children, your husband, your employees, mm-hmm. your friends. How do you look at them? How do you, how do you practice this um, inclusion uh, with them? So it's very, it's practical. So I cannot say more than this. You, this, each one of us has to do the job. You cannot buy virtue. You have to think about yeah. that. You have to complete it and you have to, to find the occasions of practicing it in the day because a virtue is the result in the end of the day of repetition of noble action. Yeah. So if every day you do a little bit, even if it's not too much, a little bit, then you will grow in that virtue and you will get it. Yeah, I, li- I really like that although, approach, Alex. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, although you will have to work with that virtue till the very last day of your life because your biological temperament is not going to change. Yeah, you know, if you're a choleric, your first reaction will always be the same results. You know, that's obvious. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's typical. So yeah, you will always have a first reaction that's going to be the biological reaction, physiological reaction. But then you will have to have quickly that second reaction that is spiritual, the reaction of mm. character, you know. So um, the more you develop the virtue, the, the quicker the second reaction comes. Yeah, that makes sense. That, I, I really like that. that. That's a great approach. And this, so this does take a lot of thought. It, it requires being very real with yourself. And maybe this is, I think, where spiritual direction can really help people because you need that second set of eyes. It's a little bit more objective to, you know, this is what you're actually struggling with. You may not be, be aware of this, but the idea of working on your dominant defect in terms of virtue and, and working on, on your weak point it's a little bit like a, a famous pro golfer once said that, hey, if I was if I was instructing an amateur, I would just say, just do two things. Just take out your driver, go to the driving range, just hit hit shots with your driver, and then go to the putting green. That's the best way you can improve your game because most people are really weak at putting. And everything else in the middle will kind of take care of itself. It's it's a little bit like working on your on your faults, your biggest faults. And I really think that's that's important. So th- thank you so much for for elucidating that a little bit more for us. My guest is Alex Havard, founder of The Virtuous Leadership System and author of the brand new book, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, Seven Prophets and the Culture War. It is absolutely dynamite stuff. So we're going to take a quick break right now on The Kale Clark Show, but we will come right back with Alex Havard. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. If you want to call in, 888-914-9149. We will be right back. so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the show. My guest today is Alex Havard, author of Virtuous Leadership and the new book, Seven Prophets and the Culture War, Undoing the Philosophies of a World in Crisis. We're going to talk to Alex about that in just a moment. But Alex, we've got a question for you, actually. Uh, Megan is on the line from San Francisco. Hi, Megan. You are on the air with Alex Havard. Hi. Thank you so much. Um, My question, I tuned in after the show started, but um, he was saying humans are great and things are not great. And I was just wondering, so thank you. Chell, what should we do to be great or more great? Thank you. Okay, thanks, Megan. So the question is, what can we do to be 
great, Alex. Well, in order to become great people, what we have to do is to develop the virtues. The virtues are what we are. We are our virtues. So the, um, the human greatness has to do with the development of our humanity. That is the human virtues. When you develop the virtue of practical wisdom, the virtue of self-mastery, the virtue of justice, the virtue of courage, the virtue of endurance, of sincerity, you know, of truthfulness, of empathy, of mercy, friendship. The more you develop those habits, the more you become an excellent person, the more you achieve greatness in your life, human greatness. So I'm speaking now about human greatness, but there is also another thing, which is what we call supernatural greatness. Mm -hmm. That is holiness, but holiness has a lot also to do with human excellence. It's impossible to achieve greatness as a Christian if you don't achieve greatness as a human being first, you know. So uh, this is my answer. I mean, uh, human excellence is both human and supernatural, and we need to focus on both on all the human virtues and also on the practice of what they call the supernatural virtues of faith, hope, and charity that are God's gift. Uh, and obviously the great Catholic precept of, of grace building on nature. And, and Alex, I want, I want to talk about your, your new book for a moment. And uh, like I said at the, at the top, I, I've recently obtained a copy. I, I'm reading through it. I'm really, really enjoying it. Thank you so much for writing it. Seven Prophets and the Culture War, Undoing the Philosophies of a World in Crisis. Alex, why did you write this book? Well, I wrote that book because, first of all, uh, a lot of people don't like to read philosophy because it seems too complicated for them. And I, I told that that's right. Many people have written about philosophy in a very, very complicated way. So that's why I decided to make it simple and uh, to go to the heart of people and to explain them very well what those people like uh, Descartes, uh, Rousseau, and Nietzsche, uh, what do they represent for us and what does it mean really to live according to Descartes? What does it mean to live according to Rousseau? What does it mean to live according to Nietzsche? And that there are millions of people that are living according to those, the way those people were thinking. So I decided to, um, I think about the world we, we see today, and I tried to understand where are we, where we are now, and what's happening to us. And I discovered that there are many sentimentalists in the modern world, many rationalists, and many voluntarists. We have people in the ideology, they are gender people, they are the will people, they are the Nietzschean people, they are those people who deny the principle of human nature, and we have to know about where, where do those people come from. There is an explanation. They don't come from, from heaven or from hell or from fresh air. They come from the blue, as we say in English. No, mm -hmm. they came from something. There was an idea. There were some people that were representative of all that before them. And then um, the mob, as we said, the mob, the sentimentalist people, those who are just living out of their feelings, no thinking, no will, just what I feel. And we have to understand where did this come from? Why do we have millions of people? that are sentimentalists, that live just out of sentiments, out of feelings, I would say, more than sentiments. There is, an, there is, there is someone behind those guys. There is a guy called Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and these people are just the spiritual sons and daughters and daughters of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. So it's hmm. important to understand where these things come from, because 
this helps us very much identify the problem and understand how do you fight, how do you overcome that problem. So yeah, this is fundamentally why I wrote that book, to help people understand what's happening now. Where does this come from and what's next? What can we do? Yeah, I mean, ideas definitely have consequences for sure. You're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Alex Havard, author of the new book, Seven Prophets in the Culture War. I want to talk about Rene Descartes for a moment because his famous statement, I think, therefore I am, it's really intriguing. When you look at modern culture and what's going on, especially with gender ideology, people are basically saying, I am whatever I think I am. It's kind of a, a twist on his words. What, what, do you, what do you think are the dangers of his particular thought in the modern world? Well, the thing is that when he said, I think, then I am, it put thinking and being in relation. So those people who came after him, they came to the conclusion that being is a consequence of thinking. So I produce my being, which means that I am a god to myself. You know, Descartes was the real father of modern subjectivism, of mm. modern real relativism. So it is that I think that I am, to put those two things together, you know, thinking and being was a big, big, big mistake. So people, I repeat, coming after him, they had a vision that I am a god, because my thinking is that which produces my being. That's fantastic. I mean, you take the place of God. You know, you are God yourself. There is no, no God anymore. You are the God. So Descartes really, um, he operated what we could, what Kant was used to say, uh, Copernican revolution, which means that the center of the world is not, is you, you are the center, it's not God anymore. So Descartes was the foundation of all this problem. Although Descartes was not a bad guy, he had just, a, he, was a, he was a great mathematician, but in the sphere of philosophy, he was a disaster. <laughs> and he brought... He brought, I mean, yeah, we cannot say bad things about Descartes in terms of mathematics. This guy was a genius. But in terms of philosophy, yeah, he was a, he was a destroyer. He, he's the foundation of the destruction of human thinking, I think, uh, of modern human thinking. Although he didn't want to do it. He didn't want, he didn't expect those consequences. Yeah. But uh, he, produ he produced it. You know, Kant and Hegel, they are the natural consequences of René Descartes, of, uh, of, yes, of René Descartes. Wow, so yeah, we have to study those guys, and I, I try to, to speak about them in a very comprehensive way, you know, so that people understand without being philosophers. I think I really yeah. try to, in all that book, to, to, to explain philosophy to people that are afraid of philosophy because it seems too complicated. So yeah, it's, um, I think you did a great job yeah. of that, by the way, Alex. It's very readable for those of you who are maybe thinking, you know, ah, is this going to be a, some sort of a, a textbook on philosophy? Not at all. He, it's really told in a very entertaining way, both the background of these philosophers and explaining their ideas and how they've affected our world. My guest is Alex Havard, the author of the new book, Seven Prophets and the Culture War. So you've talked a little bit about Descartes, and you can see how his ideas led to this age of relativism in which we live and other, other bad thought processes. He wrote so much about thinking and, and a lot of the thinking that's out there is, is wrong thinking for sure. You talked about Rousseau and sentimentalism, but what about, I think it's pretty obvious, but talk to us about the damaging effects of the thought of Nietzsche, who is the other of the three destroyers that you mentioned in your book. Yeah, Nietzsche is quite simple because Nietzsche is a representative of our Bolshevism, fascism, Nazism, and, gender or ideology. 
Nietzsche is the guy of the ideologies. Uh, ideology people are people who say, I am what I want, you know? So I don't care for the truth because there is no truth. I don't care for my heart because there is no heart. I care about one thing only, what I want. These are the people of the ideology, and we still have a lot of people like this nowadays. And they are very, they are very active. They have a lot of energy, and they are manipulating the sentimentalists. They are manipulating people like Rousseau, people who just have feelings, people that have no, no, no intellect, no will, just I feel that I am. So the, in the world, the modern world, what do you see? You see a minority of Nietzschean people. I mean, the people in ideology, people who deny the principle of human nature, people who deny the truth, just what I want. And then you have a, an enormous mob, the millions of people. They have the crowds, people that are the sentimentalists. They have no will. They have no intellect, but they have a feeling. And they leave out of that feeling so the world of nowadays, I think people like Descartes are almost dead. What we have now is just a sentimentalist and the, uh, the voluntarist. And then so the people in ideology and the victims of those people in ideology. This is amazing to see this, to see how, how we can really explain the situation of the world uh, from the point of view of three philosophers. The, the one we call the father of rationalism, Descartes. Then the father of sentimentalism, which is Rousseau, and then the father of voluntarism, which is Nietzsche. Those three guys, in the end of the day, represent in a perfect way what's happening now. What's happening now. But I am a very optimistic person, so I, I spoke about the destroyers. <laughs> yeah. I spoke about those three guys, but I spoke also about, you know, fundamentally, I speak, I speak a lot in that book. I spoke about those builders. The four builders. I mentioned yeah. the four builders. And for me, the builders are those people who, who are not rationalist, sentimentalist, or voluntarist. They were people whose, the, in which the heart, the intellect, and the will were working together harmoniously. harmoniously. And this is, a, for me, these are the great philosophers. They are very different from one another. I have four. I mean, Blaise Pascal, Søren Kierkegaard. I have Dostoevsky, Fyodor Dostoevsky, and... Uh, Vladimir Solovyov, the Russian, the Russian, the two last uh, uh, Russians. Mm -hmm. Those guys, they are very different from one another. But the power of those people, of those thinkers, is that I repeat, the spiritual faculties, the three spiritual faculties in them are working are working together. It's the heart, the mind, and the will. Mm. The destroyers, only one faculty is working, and one faculty wow. is destroying the two others. I mean, the rationalist, the sentimentalist, the voluntarist, it's obvious. The three builders, I call them the integrated human beings. They are integrated philosophers because they are integrated person, and then they produce an integrated philosophy, and that's why I think they are really builders. So the, the conclusion of that book is that you and I, we should always have those three things, a heart, a mind, and a will, and those three things should be always in interaction with one another. This is an anthropological, I would say, anthropological conclusion of that book. If you want to be a great person, and if you want to produce a great thinking, you need to have a heart that is interacting with your intellect and your will all the time. If you don't have this, don't write anything. You're <laughs> in public danger. 
<laughs> well, you are certainly you are certainly not a public danger, Alex Havard. Listen, we've only got a couple minutes left here, but uh, how can tell me a little bit quickly about your new platform and how people can get a hold of you? Yes, yeah, so we have a new platform called Alex Havard. Havard is H A V A R D dot com. Alex This is a new platform where. I have uh, seven courses on virtuous leadership, on topics of temperament, leadership, the four kind of virtues, the two specific virtues of leaders, magnanimity and humility, three hearts, how to educate your heart, how to become a great person, how you discover your mission in life. So I have about seven courses that I have done there for, for the whole world in many in different languages, in, in English and French and Spanish. People can have access to this, they can have they can also get my books. I have seven books from that website. So this right. is the new website we've been building this year. It's called Harvard, alexharvard.com. You're welcome to, to look at that. We also have a temperament test because uh, we spoke about the temperament yeah. today and the temperament is a very That's important helpful. thing. So we've been developing a very, very precise temperament test that people can enjoy taking it and uh, discover then what's what what's what, what's next after you've done the temperament test the temperament test you have to discover okay what's what should you do next and then yeah. on that website you have all the information oh that, that that's incredible and once again i'm going to spell that out for everybody alex havard h-a-v-a-r-d not harvard but havard alexhavard.com this is better than a harvard education by the way alexhavard.com <laughs> seven courses seven books Number seven is pretty popular. He's also got a new book, Seven Prophets and the Culture War, Undoing the Philosophies of a World in Crisis. It's a great book. Everybody should get that book. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time today uh, out of your busy schedule to join us here on The Kale Clark Show. God bless you, and, and thanks for everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you to you. Thank you. Bye. Okay, we'll keep you in prayer. That was Alex Havard. And once again, alexhavard.com is the website. Check out that site for all the information that he just talked about. Patrick Alock produced The Kale Clark Show today. Miranda Sinisteros took your phone calls. Keep it locked in on Relevant Radio for the rest of the night. Timory's up next. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.